Murabayashi joining you from Honolulu, Hawaii, where I'm visiting my parents. And uh, after two weeks, my normal co-host, Sarah Jacobs, rocking a tan. Sarah, hello. <laughs> Hi, Alan. How you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm doing all right. It's a little early. It's all right. No problem. Yeah, it's early uh, over there on the islands, huh? It sure is. If you're watching us on uh, YouTube, you probably found us on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash photoshelter. Uh, otherwise, you're listening to the audio podcast, which you found on iTunes by searching for I Love Photography. In either case, we're happy to have you. Uh, if you are listening to the audio podcast, you might want to look at the images that we talk about today, and you can find that on blog.photoshelter.com. I would be remiss not to remind you that if you have questions or comments as we go along, you can always tweet us at hashtag I Love Photo. And with that, why don't we talk about some photography, Sarah? Sounds good. Uh, you know, in New York, we have had an issue with the cops, as a lot of, a lot of municipi municipalities have had in the past. And, uh, you know, it's not... there. We have a lot of cops. We have the largest police force in the nation, and, of course, there's going to be some, some bad seeds in there. One of the programs that the former mayor of New York started, or... Maybe not started, but he really kind of put it to the forefront. This is Mayor Bloomberg a few years ago. Um, stop and frisk programs, which has been very controversial because of kind of the racial targeting um, that happened as a result of it. And uh, we found this particular essay on stop and frisk in Newark, New Jersey, uh, which is just uh, 10 miles away, by Philip Montgomery. And... Uh, besides the fact that it's uh, beautiful photography, um, it kind of it kind of brings to light all of the all of the stuff that's been talked about in regards to stop and frisk and how sort of invasive and how the same people get targeted over and over again despite not having records and a lot of times they're like you know honor students walking home from school and they get stopped and frisked uh, and I just thought this was a really kind of a gritty photojournalistic essay that showed what this procedure is like and why, uh, in a lot of cases, African Americans in the uh, lower socioeconomic areas uh, resent it so much. Yeah, I love the gritty black and white of this series. Glad he did not do this in color. Also, he, he uh, in the interview, he talks, Philip the photographer talks a lot about um, the fact that he didn't really want to photograph while the stop and frisk was happening. Um, mm -hmm. He felt like it was too intrusive um, to be flashing, you know, a giant paparazzi flash in the uh, victim's face. And so he didn't. He did these sort of like more thoughtful portraits like this of a stop and frisk victim and his mother. Who's in also their home. a stop and frisk. <laughs> uh-huh, right. Yeah, so you get a little bit more of a personal sense rather than the in-your-face while it's happening. It's kind of the story that surrounds it, which... Which, you know, we've talked about it before. We've talked about it in the context of everyday Africa. Uh, I've talked about it in the past few weeks in, in regards to the images coming out of Gaza and, and elsewhere. And more and more I'm, I'm believing that Documentary photography, in a lot of ways, is, is trying to break down stereotypes and humanize um, the victims of whatever is afflicting them. 
mm-hmm. whatever tragedy or whatever policy is, is afflicting them. Um, and this does a great job. I mean, I think when you see that that guy and his mom, and you're like, why are they being stopped over and over again? You know, mm-hmm. based on the color of their skin, based on the way they dress, based on the fact that they they dress and live in a particular neighborhood. Um, can be a, a bit infuriating at times, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so nice essay, and I and I do concur with you that the selection of black and white is, uh, seems very appropriate. And I mean, in a sense, it, it makes it makes perfect technical sense when he's out shooting at night uh, with all these different mixed light sources. Color would just look kind of muddy in some ways, and I think black and white kind of clears that up uh, mm-hmm. and makes the focus appropriate. Nice job, Philip. Uh, you know, I think it was two months ago uh, when a ferry sunk uh, in South Korea, going from the main uh, South Korean peninsula to a small resort island called Cheju Island, um, and something like 200 kids were were killed as a result of that. The reclusive billionaire who owned that shipping line um, they were trying to find him, and they, f- they eventually found him uh, dead uh, a few months later. And, uh, and then it came out, this article, which is just wacky. This is in Fast Co. Design. The guy fancied himself as a photographer. Um, South Korean billionaire, Yu Byung-un. And he fancied himself a photographer, so what he would do is he would give massive donations to various galleries and museums, um, and then they would display his photography. We're talking like millions, right? Millions. Millions We're talking millions, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're talking millions, and we're talking some of the, 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 the best uh, institutions in the world. Um, and the funny thing is that you see, you'll see these photos here. Here's one. He shot it out of a window in a lot of cases. He did a lot out of the same window. Um, and here's uh, you know a little deer, a real uh, explorer. Yeah, a real explorer there. <laughs> he really wanted to get out there. I guess he liked uh, wildlife or something. But he shot these photos, and then the art critics came in and didn't actually end up eviscerating him. You know, they all had some weird statement about, well, you know, it's not the most revolutionary work, but there's something about his eye, and there's something about what he's trying to say. Um, you know, typical art drivel. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's just funny to me, you know, the the role of big money, even in the art world here. Well, you know, maybe even more pronounced in the art world than it is in, say, politics, because they are so dependent on uh, donations and charity for this to happen. Uh, it's, yeah. It, it's, a little, it's a little tragic. Up, I know that they're willing to put up these terrible photos. They are terrible photos. They're, they are. They're, they're awful. <laughs> I, 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 mean, I mean, I feel bad for the critics, one, who um, were looking at these trying to understand why these institutions were framing and putting these up and trying to make some sense of it, of the curator's decision, but also just the general public that went to go see some good art and have been fooled <laughs> that this is it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, they thought that this was photography, and now they're never going to go to a photo show again. Exactly. Yeah, right. They're like, yeah, I little, went to that one. A little one. sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wanted to say something nice about 
these photos, but you know, having looked at them three or four times, they really are just bad photos that literally anyone could have taken. Um, it's so interesting, though, that the guy was so desperate to be known as a as a as an art photographer that he would spend all his money, but I guess at a certain point, when you have so much money, what difference does it make? You, you buy your access, and he he accomplished. I mean, he accomplished in some ways what he wanted to do. His his work was shown in, in these incredible institutions. That's true, but without any talent. So. Without any talent. Well, so photographers with talent, I guess my suggestion to you is become a billionaire, and then you'll be able to do whatever you want. Yeah, it's easy enough. <laughs> um, I love the, you know, I love photos, historical photos, but not like, not like, you know, 1900 photos. I love photos from like kind of the recent past. Um, and the 80s, the 70s and 80s were such wacky times in terms of dress and and street culture and whatnot. And obviously there's there's not a ton of images from this era because it was still a film era. Um, and Bushwick is a part of Brooklyn. It's kind of your it's kind of your town. A little Sarah bit. Jen. Yeah, I have a lot of friends that live in Bushwick. Yeah. Which is now like Hipsterville. Oh yeah, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Getting there, getting there. <laughs> so the photographer uh, Meryl Meisler has these photos, street photos of uh, Bushwick in the 1980s and I mean immediately you know you're not in the present day oh, yeah, again by, by all the visual cues that you're seeing. Right, I mean it looks like it's mostly vacant which in some parts of today it still does but I mean this looks like a hurricane just went through Bushwick. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah or it was bombed out, you know, I mean that's just so bizarre and strange. And, and it, to me, it's striking that even though, you know, every era has these retro movements in terms of dress where we copy these other eras, you know, it, our clothing still doesn't look like this. Our hairstyles still don't look like this. The, there actually has been an evolution. Oh, um, this one could maybe, maybe pass except for the, the older guy's haircut. We, we just don't see that. That haircut anymore? <laughs> no, we don't. Thank goodness. Huge hair, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I love what Meryl Meryl is apparently. So she was a teacher, a, a, an art teacher in Bushwick at the time in the '80s, which is why she was going out there, and just decided to start documenting the neighborhoods. And she's letting out a new book that has these photos of Bushwick, um, and also some of the disco culture that was happening in Manhattan which I think is a really fun juxtaposition and will make for a great book to put these, you know, very gritty street scenes of what was happening just across the water and then the glitz and glam of disco. I mean, yeah. it's, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a very interesting book. I'd like to get my hands on it. You know what's striking to me? I, I've always asked the question of myself of what does one do with street photography? when you're just kind of the average street photographer. And even when you're at the top of the game, the, there are very few people that exhibit and create books out of street photography. And yet when you look at like historical street photography, what's not to love about historical street photography? It's so fun. So 
all you street photographers out there, I, I guess the, the solution is you just have to wait 20 or 30 years, and then all of a sudden your stuff is like retro cool, just like the clothing and the, uh, and the images. Um, when I was in Europe, I was doing a lot of, you know, very touristy things, a lot of sightseeing, and I mean, it was just so interesting to watch how many cameras were going off everywhere I was, you know, like at the Vatican, at the Colosseum. Yeah. And I just kept wondering, where are all these photos going to go? <laughs> you know, like which servers are going to carry all of these? I wonder what people are using, how they're going to show their friends, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I kind of thought, you know, I wish that I was taking slide film and that I had a slide projector at home and I'd call up all my friends after the trip and say, you know, come over and I'm going to have a little slide projection show of my trip, <laughs> which I might actually do digitally just for fun because, you know, I took all these photos and it's like, where are they going to go though, you know? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I have a suggestion. How about photo shelter? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, photoshelter.com. <laughs> oh, yeah. Remember that? Remember that old thing? Yeah. No, I mean, I'm definitely going to put selects on my portfolio, but, you know, but all the rest of the ones, you know, of, like, yeah. my, my family and stuff, so, yeah, anyway. That's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, over on Ochre, ochre.is, um, which is a cool site started by Pam Hewling and company, um, a neat essay by Pete Muller, uh, and the essay is entitled, uh, Encouraging Men to Be Better Than We've Been. Um, and this is taken on the African uh, subcontinent. Um, and I just like the, I like the color, and I liked, there's something about these photos that just really resonated uh, with me. Um, and this opening shot, you know, it's sort of like a, it's sort of like a Jesus moment in a lot of ways. Um, but there's there's a real intimacy to the portraiture, and I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, he's he's good. There's definitely an intimacy, and I think that comes from Peter's um, interviews that he does with his subjects before he takes their photograph. I mean, he has long conversations where they're both being very open, um, and then he does the photo. You know, it's not like, okay, let's get the photo and get out. He's really opening these people up and talking to them. Which so we're looking at a series of portraits now. Uh, Pete went to a remote camp uh, where he photographed guys with their guns. Um, and their job was to watch over herds of cattle, thousand heads of cattle. Um, and so you see these really cool portraits. It's like a very small light source focused on them. They're holding their guns. Uh, I, I didn't view it at all as sort of a glorification of guns. I, I saw it as guys whose job required them to have guns <laughs> yeah. to protect stuff. And this photo was just kind of funny to me. You know, the shirt... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the shirt is so colorful and fashionable in a lot I of know. ways. I know. It's, a playful, it's almost a playful shirt, like a child yeah. shirt. It, you know, the funniest thing, when you, when you travel around the world and, and so many places get clothing from the US, donated clothing from the US, which end up, you know, they end up wearing and wearing in many cases uh, for, for years and years and years. Um, and, you know, we've seen photos before where, for example, Super Bowl, the Super Bowl loser, because oh. they have to pre-print all the t-shirts, those all get sent to some third world country, and then 
all of a sudden, you know, the Patriots have won the Super Bowl um, when <laughs> they lost to the Giants. And it's just funny to see the, these pieces of clothing um, all over the world, which I assume that's sort of fashionable. I, I don't think that that was a locally made shirt. I could be wrong, but um, it's just funny to see. But these are such great, great images. I know. He's, he's really amazing, and his next project that he's about to embark on is exploring violence um, within the culture of, of man, um, specifically rape um, and sexual harassment, which he talks about it being a man's issue, and I think it's going to be really interesting to get that perspective because in so many ways, you know, rape is talked about as this is a woman's issue that women have to deal with and how do we deal with it and you know there's all that type of discussion but no it it's a man's issue because you know they're the the culprits and um, yeah yeah and so I think it's gonna be a really powerful based on his past work this new project that he's about to embark on is gonna be a really powerful body of work I look forward to seeing it and he wants to he wants to do it for Ten years, he says. He wants to work on it on as many years as he can. It's amazing. Yeah. Long-term projects. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of rape, this is a, a photo we're looking at. Soldiers accused of rape and crimes against humanity slouch in their chairs during a military tribunal. Uh, just love, just love this photo. There, there are three soldiers wearing their fatigues. They're kind of slumped over the chairs. Only one of them has combat boots on. The other guys are wearing, one guy's wearing blue flip-flops and the other guy's wearing, like, green sandals. Um, and it's just a funny juxtaposition. And and certainly not not defending these guys in any way, shape, or form, but, you know, you see these images of these guys not wearing full uniform dress. And in some ways, I just think it's just sort of a lost generation of of warriors, you know, these guys get into these situations where they they're conscripted at a very early age, or they're forced um, without having kind of fully formed brains and fully formed opinions, and then they get thrown into killing people and raping and pillaging, and that's kind of a sad, sad statement of the the world affairs in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's interesting that he's going to start this project. Um, in the Congo, which he says the only re the reason I'm starting it in the Congo is because I've lived here for many years. You know, I know the people, but he wants to do it all over the world, and I think it'll be interesting to see how his work changes based on the cultures that he's documenting and the men that he's talking to. Um, because in the Congo, like you just said, violence is so, you know, it's in, in kind of embedded, unfortunately, yeah. into the culture a little bit, and uh, yeah, so. Well, we looked at last week uh, an image that was in the New York Times of two girls that had been gang raped in India and hung from a tree. Uh, and I know that in, in a lot of parts of India, we've seen this. We've seen, we've seen gang rapes happen in the cities as well as the rural areas of India. Um, it's kind of a pervasive issue in a lot of ways, and I would love to, to see him make it over to India to kind of capture that dynamic. Just, you know, everywhere you go, obviously, uh, Rape is a problem, but I think in that that country it seems so. I wouldn't say it's more problematic, but there certainly are the manifestations are very very violent um, in that in that country for whatever reason. Um, 
Well, that I think that that kind of concludes the really deep stuff that we're looking at today. <laughs> right. Let's switch to your back in, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I found these images on uh, on the Fast Company site again, and these are, as the title uh, explains, ten awesome photos <laughs> of people shooting out of water slides. Uh, this makes me want to go to Waterworld. <laughs> I know, I know. These are so fun. They so it's an Iowa-based uh, photographer named Krista Long who just sh set up a tripod uh, at a water park and literally shot thousands and thousands of photos um, of people kind of shooting out of the of the of the water tube. And you know the the, the comments that she makes is the the the, the range of expressions is so interesting. Some people are like thrilled, and some people are very calm. Um, but what a wonderful idea! It is, yeah. Some people look tranquil. This woman is just gliding on the water. It's like she's floating in midair, and then you got the little kid like freaking out. <laughs> you know, the one thing I couldn't figure out with this series is how did the background go to black? Yeah, I was wondering that too. Actually, I mean. The flash must, I mean, could it have really just been that powerful, the lights? Uh, perhaps, yeah. or maybe she photoshopped it. You might have hard, hard to say, because normally when you think of water park, uh, you know, you think of a lot of lights, you think of kind of a beachy scene. Right. But who knows? It really made me want to sort of copy this idea. Oh, yeah? It's just, In a uh, different it's water a park? Idea. Yeah, yeah. You, you have a lot of photos yeah. of people jumping off uh, into the ocean. I feel like you could just yeah. get on the other side of them and do the, you know, their face shot. That could be fun. This is that. This is true. Yeah. Um, I was talking to uh, some friends about water parks, and they were remarking like, "Water parks are disgusting. The, you know, <laughs> the people that go to them are disgusting. The water's disgusting. People are peeing in the water. There's a ton <laughs> of kids who are pooping and." Uh, I agree with all of those, um, but these photos definitely still make me want to go and check out the water park. Love that. So over in Petapixel, you know, we we Petapixel does such a great job of sort of covering photography in general, and we came across this article, which is actually an article about a thread uh, from Reddit. And what happened was the photographer posted this image that he shot of Mount Fuji in Japan. And he posted it to uh, the subreddit Pix, which is a pretty big subreddit. And it got upvoted and became the most popular photo in, in, on Reddit uh, for the day. Uh, and he was so thrilled, even though he had previously sold it, uh, he was so thrilled for the photo to go viral. And then once, once it went viral, and he started finding all of these places where the image was stolen and how he couldn't control the usage, he started to regret putting it out there in the first place. With, you know, he, he, he regretted it and he didn't regret it. It, it. It's kind of weird to see the evolution of his feelings over time because it's sort of update, they update how, how he felt about it. Um, but I, I thought it was, you know, the, the, the main points that he made about it was like there, there was no monetization. Like all of the traffic that it brought him to his website, he didn't sell a single print. Hmm. In his head, he was like, "Oh, if I only sold one print, I would have said, okay, it's fine. It's fine. But he didn't sell one print. And he, 
he talks about maybe it's because it was too difficult to purchase from my portfolio website. Oh. He brings that up, which is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you gotta you gotta kind of feel for this guy. The other the other thing was he would send out notices to people to say, hey, play, please take down this image. It's my image. I took this photo. And people would be incredulous that he actually took it. They said, there's, there's no way you took this photo. This photo was posted before you went to Japan. And all this, all this kind of stuff of people, people saying, you're a liar. Why are you stealing other people's photos? Why are you trying to make a buck off other people's photos? Oh, man. I mean, I, I, I find it interesting that um, you know the guy. He he calls himself an enthusiast. You know, photograph enthusiast. Um, this picture had already won a contest that he had entered. I think for Getty or something like that. He had already sold copies of the photograph, prints of the photograph. Yeah. You know, this was and it was two years ago that he took it. Why did he feel like he needed it to go viral? You know. I'll tell you why. Right. I'll tell you why, Sarah, because we live in a culture now where we want to get likes on our images and followers on our Instagram because it feels good. It's instant gratification. Okay, Put up yeah. a good photo, you're going to get likes. Yes. I guess it's just important to remember that viral definitely does not mean any kind of monetary conversation to you at all. It just is exactly what it is, which is people yeah. stealing your photo. <laughs> Well, you know, we, we've seen situations where images go viral, and I'm thinking of, of uh, all the dads who take photos of their kids. Um, uh, we, the, the first instance of that we saw two years ago where uh, the wife was, I think it was the grandma was sick, so they couldn't take the kids over, the grandkids over to see the grandma. Um, and instead, the, the, the father started taking all these kind of whimsical photos. Um, but he happened to also be a wedding photographer, and he was subsequently hired a lot to shoot a lot of weddings. So it wasn't that he was doing a direct monetization of the image. He was using the image as marketing for his photographic services, which is one way to think about it. Yes, um, and different than the guy who posted this photo was yeah. thinking of it. Yeah, yeah. So who's to say the value of virality? I mean, I think, I think that it depends on, on every case. Uh, certainly, but this is a cautionary tale for sure, which is if you think you're going to make a lot of money just because your image goes, quote, viral, uh, you're largely mistaken, or maybe your website sucks because it's too hard to buy an image for people yeah. who want to get a print. That's true. Good point. It is, I, I'm glad that he posted, I mean, he posted uh, screen caps of, you know, his Google Analytics, and it's interesting to see, you know, how his website traffic shot up that day you know, get a little insight into what it does look like when your site goes viral. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, just be wary before you post it on Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> Last week I talked about the Hasselblad uh, 50 megapixel digital back for the V series, the old film series of cameras. That was a little piece of gadgetry that I thought, man, I wish I could afford that thing because it's like $15,000. Um which is just ludicrous for something that I would use a, a few times a year. Uh, this week, uh, this particular camera was announced uh, a few weeks ago, but I guess reviewers just started getting their hands on it. It's the Lytro Ilum. 
And Lytro, as you might remember, is the light field camera. Their first version was sort of a lipstick size camera. And the whole technology that they were touting uh, is called light field photography, which allows you to refocus an image after it's taken. So over on The Verge, David Pierce got his hands on this camera, which looks very futuristic. Um, and he just talked about how this is the future of photography. Um, and the, and the, the, the title is a little bit of link bait because he talks about some real problems with the software, et cetera. So here's a photo of, the, of what it looks like. That um, is a crazy looking camera. It's a crazy looking camera. Yeah. And I was reading his review and he talks about, you know, this is the future because uh, the ability to sort of not necessarily recompose but refocus um, it's going to change everything. And I saw some comments on Facebook where people were saying, yeah, let's, let's start all over with photography and reinvent photography. And I, I, I found myself being really skeptical about this as being kind of the future of photography. First of all, we've seen the rise of the mirrorless cameras, and we've seen people move away from these massive hulking pieces of metal and plastic to much smaller form factors that they can put in their pocket or at least, you know, it's saving their backs a little bit. And this thing is ginormous. Mm -hmm. The lens is, it has a, gi a gigantic zoom. It claims to be 30 to 250 uh, millimeters uh, at f2. Um, but the lens is just huge. And the other thing that, that struck me is refocusing after you've taken a photo to me, is not the future of photography. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, that's a lot of post work. It's a lot of post work, and I and I and I think about the how how photography and television and film, the the passive experience of viewing a TV show, a movie, or a photo, is part of the what people like. They like to get lost in these things and just kind of zone out and look at photos. And the notion of making it interactive um, and that representing the future of photography, I just don't buy that as a premise. I don't buy it as a premise. Now, you could say, well, in the field of entertainment, video games, which now exceed the revenue of movies, is an interactive medium. But that's a gamification of entertainment, whereas refocusing an image is not doesn't have the same sort of qualities as playing a shoot 'em up game or a sports game or something, you know, on your on your gaming console. Right. There's no drive to to really do it. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, I'd I'd like to point out in this review the photos that were used as example photos, <laughs> which are yeah. oh no, <laughs> a rack of bikes. Oh god. <laughs> Don't get me started on the rack of bikes. <laughs> rack of bikes. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. It's okay, I, I, Verge. We forgive you. It's fine. <laughs> There's referencing a blog that I wrote in regards to all the sample images, the stereotypical sample images that you see in camera reviews um, and the rack of bikes. I don't know. I guess all the reviewers happen to be in cities where there are municipal bike shares. So you always <laughs> see the city bikes or the Boris bikes or the, Par the Paris bikes. Um, I guess it's an easy way to sort of illustrate the field. <laughs> Maybe. Right, and with the Lytro, you get to change the depth of field on the yeah. bike rack. I mean, that's Which, revolutionary. 
you want to focus the front bike or the back bike? I, look, at, look at this. You know, Alan, that's up to you as a viewer. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, gosh. Well, if you, if you love bicycle rack photography and you're always thinking to yourself after the fact that, man, I should have... I should have focused on a different bike, then this $1,500 oh, $1, camera might be for you. Might there be you for go. You. you know what? It does have a market. That's, I mean, there you go. I, I know, and I think, uh, you know, early adopters, had, had this come out 15 years ago, I would have bought it in a heartbeat because I was such the early adopter guy, but now I'm, I'm a, little more, mm. a little more stringent on my purchases. Yeah, a little more skeptical, too. Yeah. Yep. We end today with uh, a series of photos by <laughs> Austin father-to-be Justin Sylvester. And these photos have gone viral. He posted them on Reddit as well. Um, and then they went viral. And he's all over the place, but MTV had like a larger gallery, so I'll see <laughs> these photos. His wife uh, didn't want her photos taken in these with these, you know, very stereotypical scenes and poses for maternity, with, yeah, for yes. modern maternity photos. Um, so he decided to do self-portraits uh, of him. No, 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 no. He hired. He hired a. Professional. Oh, he hired. He did. He hired a professional photographer who's been doing this for four years with mothers, but has never done it with a dad. Well, because why would you do it with a dad? It's just silly. It's just silly. It's absolutely silly. These. These really cracked me up. I was laughing. I mean, they're, they're, they're just hilarious. I mean, he's, you know, the guy's by the window. He's covering his nipples yeah. with his hand, like. Yeah. And now this is a this is a great example of right of photos going viral, and now that photographer's name is going to get out there, and maybe some people in Austin, you know, some mothers to be, will hire her, you know, for their shoot. Yeah, but I gotta say, you know, in a lot of art, a lot of articles that I read about this, they don't even mention his name. Oh, because the got it. got passed around so much, and they got put up on injure and all this kind of stuff. And, yeah, and that's the true. The attribution was lost. The fact that, yeah, you, that you didn't catch that, that's, yeah, not good. Oh, so, the with the ice cream? I can't. <laughs> it's too much. It's too much. I like it. In thinking about these, these images, you know, we've seen examples of this before where what if men did the same poses as pinups did? Yes, um, we have seen trying that. Trying to illustrate the the ridiculousness of of posing that we make women do for these situations etc in terms of maternity photography I mean they, they look ridiculous when a man's doing them I'm trying to get over my bias to say but it's a man doing them and when a woman does it it's fine because there's a, she's the one carrying the baby there's just a different level of intimacy with with that mm -hmm. um, What's what's your take on that, Sarah? Oh, are, are these but, ridiculous poses that women shouldn't be doing? The first time? <laughs> I mean, the I mean, the hand heart is. <laughs> don't you should never do that. Just yeah, I think I think with this series, the what I felt was that they took the poses to the extreme, um, and that's what makes it funny. I mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of t very tasteful. Uh, maternity pictures of women in in the studio. You know the lighting is beautiful. And they're posed in very natural positions, and it it feels beautiful and wonderful, and a celebration of the child and the mom. Um, yeah. And so I don't think. Are you asking? Like basically, I don't think these are offensive at all to okay. to okay. women that are trying to pose. I think it's it's a play 
they've played it up just enough, right? So that it's not super, super like, oh, this is too goofy. But like you understand that it's a total joke and that, you know. And is the genre of maternity photo of women a ridiculous genre in the first place? I guess that's my question. <laughs> um, no, I think documenting, I think the, the want to document yourself while you're pregnant makes total sense. I mean, yeah. that's like your body's never going to look like that again. And, oh, well, I mean, you know. <laughs> Unless you have a second or a 15. <laughs> right. But, um, yeah, documenting your body that way, I think, is, is you know, really important to some women. And I totally, I get it. So, no. Obviously, some people do it in a very tacky way, but that's yes. just like with everything, photos, engagement photos, wedding photos, etc. So. Well, I got to say, for a not pregnant guy, he is rocking some beer belly. I know. You know, he almost looks pregnant. That is quite a baby bump that he has in these photos. Indeed. Good job, Justin. <laughs> too, bad, too bad we can't figure out who the photographer is. I'm sure one of these articles has it. We'll look it up and, and post it on the blog. All of the stuff that we talked about today you can find at blog.photoshelter.com if you want to check out the, the images for yourself. Um, some really great photography this week, as always. So join us every week and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Sarah, great to have you back. Thank you. It's good to be back. I will be back in New York for next week, so we can both do it in New York like we did in the olden days. <laughs> Very uh, good. So for Sarah Jacobs, this is Alan Murabayashi signing off from Honolulu, Hawaii. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.